Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. I hated all places because he was not in them, because they could not say to me, look, he is coming. This is what Augustine of Hippo wrote after his best friend died. Nothing could make him feel better because at that time he said that God seemed like a faraway ghost while his friend had been real. Later, when he understood who God is, he wrote, talking to God, blessed is the one who loves and loves his friend and you and his enemy for your sake. Welcome to a new episode of Kids Talk Church History. I'm Emma, I'm 15, and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm Trindy, I'm 15, and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Linus, I'm 12, and I live in San Diego, California. With Valentine's Day coming up, some of us might be thinking about giving something special to our friends. Now that this word is used so often, we might even wonder, who is a true friend? Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Michael Haken, Professor of Church History and Biblical Spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Haken has volunteered to tell us all about friendship in the early church, particularly in the fourth century. But before we turn to him, let's talk a little about friendship in general. Trinity and Linus, how would you describe a true friend? A true friend is someone who sticks with you. God told Adam that it was not good for man to be alone. A true friend is also someone who comforts you through hard and tough times and has always got your back. Yeah, and a friend is also someone who keeps you accountable so that you can't do bad stuff. When you are by yourself, you can brood on your sin, but a friend can pick you up. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 through 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. I have read that friendship was very important to the ancient Greeks and Romans, probably for other people too. The famous Greek philosopher Aristotle thought that true friendship was the greatest source of happiness in this life. He said that there were three kinds of friendship. One, which is not the best, is based on what we can get from each other. One is based on liking to be together. But the best kind, he said, is a friendship where each person really wants the best for the other. He thought that children and even some young people have mostly the second kind of friendship, just liking to be with each other. The third type of friendship takes time. What do you think Augustine meant when he said we are blessed if we love our friends and God? I understand when he says we should love our enemies for God's sake. That means we love our enemies because God told us to love them. So we do it because we love God. But how do you love a friend in God? I think it means that we love God first and we remember that our friends are gifts of God to us. I think that's right. It's God that puts people in our lives. I was looking up some Christian friends from the 4th century. This is what a bishop named Gregory said about his friendship with another bishop, Basil. He said, this was our competition, not who was first, but who allowed the other to be first. I think that's a good definition of friendship. I like that. It's a good model to follow. I've seen this with our small group of podcast hosts. When there's a decision to be made, many people say, whatever's best for the others. I've also read something about this subject. I found that John Christostom, who was a bishop in Constantinople, said that a friend is the greatest treasure one can have on this earth. But he said that he was talking about friends who would even die for each other. And he said that friends should also correct each other. 
Yes, like the friend Augustine loved so much, the one that made him cry so much when he died. Sometime before he died, he told Augustine that if he wanted to stay his friend, he would have to stop teaching him all the strange things Manichaeans believed. Now it's time to look in our mailbox. We have two questions from Jeremiah, who is 13 and lives in Linden, Washington, which is specifically about friendship in the early church. He wants to know if these friendships started mostly in school or church or through their families. Also, second question, what did they call a friend at that time? For example, he said, today we use the term bro. Did they have any words that meant friend? As usual, we pass on these questions to our guest. But first, let me remind you to send your questions to this email address, questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org, for the opportunity to win a free copy of a book by Simonetta Carr. That's questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. You can also find it on our website. We'll still be exploring the first five centuries of church history for a few more months, and we'll have lots of amazing experts. So ask anything you have ever wanted to know. And here is our expert for today, Dr. Michael Hagen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. It's a real joy to be with you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So let's start with the two questions from Jeremiah first. In the first centuries of Christianity, where did these Christians find friends? At school and in church or through their families? And then Jeremiah asked how these friends addressed each other, if there was an equivalent to today's bro. Yeah, um, uh, some of them were at school. Uh, so you cited uh, Basil and uh, Gregory, Gregory Nazianzus, and they first met in school in Constantinople, and they studied together there, and then they went together from there to Athens, and so that was a good example of two men who became friends through uh, being uh, students together. Uh, Others would have met in church. Um, I think here of uh, Quill and Priscilla uh, and their friendship with the Apostle Paul, which Paul talks about in Romans 16. Um, and he talks about their friendship being one in which they were willing to die for him. And uh, they presumably met Paul, um, older, they weren't part of the same family, but they would have met him in church. So the same way in which we meet our friends, school, uh, families, knowing each other in the same street, church, uh, they, they would have been the ways in which uh, friends met each other back then. The question about whether or not, uh, yeah, how did they address each other? Uh, that's a very good question. And, uh, I mean, the word for friend in Greek is philos. And I'm not, a sh- I'm not aware of, a, of an abbreviation of that, like uh, philly or philly. Um, and in Latin, the word for friend is amicus. So maybe ami. Um, again, I've not come across that either. Again, we're, we're limited to some degree in how we understand the past because of what we have inherited in terms of their writings. So they may have called each other Ami, but that word was never written down. And so we have no idea um, if that, that was a word. Generally speaking, uh, the, the Greeks and the Romans, when they used a, a familiar term like that, like bro, uh, we shorten the word from brother to bro. Uh, they would lengthen the word. So right. anyway. Uh, the two words in Greek, Greek is uh, philos, philos um, and uh, in Latin, it's amicus. That makes sense. I guess they wouldn't really be using slang in their writing. So I have another question as well. So in another episode, we have learned that Macrina had a great influence on her brothers, and they continued to look up to her and ask her for advice throughout their lives. So I would say that 
a friend, just like Basil and his brother Gregory were friends. But would they have considered her their friend or were family members in a different category in how they would think of them? Yeah, yeah uh, that's another really good question, too. Um, yeah, the, the big uh, this, the big kind of source for the life of Macrina is um, Gregory of Nyssa's life of Macrina. And uh, it's very clear the way he goes through that, that he would see her as a friend. Um, as he describes her life, particularly her final days, um, it's, I think, very, very obvious that uh, he regarded her as, as a friend. So I think the answer to that would be yes. Uh, Macrina was regarded by, by Basil and by Gregory of Nyssa, um, two of her brothers, uh, as one of their friends. And then, I guess, building on that, at the time, when men have called a woman his friend, I know that Chrysostom had a friend called Olympias, and Jerome had many women friends who, or had many women who learned from him, but also gave him support. But would he have called them friends? Um, when Jesus told his disciples, I call you friends, or greater love has no man than this, then he gave his life to his friends. I'm sure that he included women. Otherwise, I would have no hope for heaven. But the culture at the time may have been different. What do you think? Yeah, um... If you go to pagan culture, uh, Greek and Roman pagan culture, uh, especially in Greek culture, Greek Greek men would not have regarded women as potentially being friends. So your wife would never have been normally regarded as a friend. And that's because the Greeks had a very low view of women's intelligence. And they didn't believe that women were cool and rational enough to have friendships. Uh, The Romans, I think, are a bit different. Uh, the Romans had a more positive view of women, and uh, it's a that's a it's a really good question. I've never actually studied pagan Roman men in terms of did they have women as friends, um, but definitely in the church, where uh, there was this recognition that a woman could achieve as much as a man in terms of her living for God and her living for Christ. And definitely with Macrina, I mean, that's an example, very clear example, that Gregory of Nyssa, her brother, is giving of, here's a woman who is just as powerful and fervent a disciple of Jesus as they were. Um, and you, the, good, the examples you mentioned, um, Chrysostom had a, a woman who was a friend, Olympia, and then Jerome had a number of friends uh, who were women, Paula and... Um, her daughter, and a number of other women with whom he corresponded regularly. And I think eventually, uh, Paula moved from Rome to Bethlehem, where Jerome was living, uh, to help him in his studies. So in the church, there was a much higher view, and that because of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the way Jesus treated women uh, in his day, Um, he recognized that women were image bearers of God. That they were equally, uh, they were equal heirs of of salvation, and this became part of the thinking of the early church. Thank you, Doctor Haken. Thank you so much for that answer. Um, but since you have listened to our conversation about friendship in the early church, did we misunderstand anything or leave anything out that you think was important? Uh, since talking about friendship in the fourth century was your idea, I'm sure you have a lot more to add. Am I correct? Yeah, there's a lot more that could be said, and uh, I think. Um, I think in, in the, the main uh, emphases that should be made about friendship in the in the fourth century and those early years, I think you yeah you got it all right. Um, 
most of what could be said would be details about how friendships worked out. And the 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 one figure that I've looked at in real a lot of detail is Basil and Basil's friendship. Um, Basil had a number of very close friends. Uh, some of them deeply disappointed him. Um, he had a friend named Eustathius, uh, E-U-S-T-A-T-H-I-U-S, Eustathius. And Eustathius was older than him, and he probably baptized him uh, when uh, Basil became a Christian. And um, he was uh, a mentor. But then at a certain point, they disagreed on their perspectives on who God was. And Eustathius uh, treated him very shabbily or very poorly and spread slanders about him, spread lies about him and destroyed their friendship. And uh, Basil was absolutely devastated. He couldn't talk about it for about two years. And that's how deep he felt he felt wounded. And when you have a close friend, and I think this is one of the challenges about friendship, is that sometimes friends disappoint us or sometimes uh, in this case, betrayed him. And uh, you would think then at that point that Basil would be reluctant to develop deep friendships again, but it was not so. Um, Basil uh, developed another deep friendship with a man named Eusebius. Um, and there's a lot of people in the early church called Eusebius. Um, and this man is called, uh, we know him as Eusebius of Samosata. Samosata was a little town on the border of the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And Eusebius, we, we have hardly anything written by him, but we have 19 letters of Basil to Eusebius. And you can see how, how a friendship works out, how Basil um, praised him, how he told him he, he was longing to see him, and uh, how Basil would turn to him again and again for advice. Um, Basil was a very, very important writer at the time, and um, it's really kind of very important to see that not only did, did these early Christians have a theory of how friendship worked and what a good friend was, but they also, you could also see how they lived that out uh, in their friendships. And their friendships had the same sort of things that we, we go through. We, we develop friendships and we sometimes lose them, very sadly. And sometimes it's, it's about a big blow up. Um, as with um, with Basil and Gregory, uh, sometimes more often we lose friends because we don't have the time and the to put into keeping our friends. Uh, friendships take take a lot of time. You have to regularly keep in touch with each other. I mean, we've got fabulous means today with social media. In those days, all they had was letters. But you can see Basil took his friendship with Eusebius very very seriously because he would write letters to him uh, and regularly write letters, and that takes time. And so one of the, I think, a very helpful way of studying friendship is in the early church, and particularly the fourth century, is not simply thinking about uh, the theory of friendship that these people had, but how did their friendships actually work out? Uh, what did they look like? And that means looking at their, their interaction through their letters and their friendship in daily life. That's very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. And I was also wondering... What kind of things did friends do together back then? Well, you, you'd have the whole range. Uh, this wouldn't be true of Basil and uh, Eusebius necessarily, but friends would go and do sports together. Uh, younger men uh, would uh, engage in sports. They'd go to what they called the Hippodrome, where they saw chariot racing. 
Uh, by the fourth century, gladiators were, and that was always off limits to Christians, but gladiators were banned. And uh, the big thing people would love to go see was the chariot racing. And uh, just as today, people had their favorite teams. In Constantinople, there were the various teams. There was the reds, the blues, the greens. I think there was a team called the whites, uh, which probably was the colors that they all wore. So friends would do sports together, watch sports together. Uh, they'd have meals together. Uh, meals would be a very, very important part of friendship. And they'd spend time together with each other, um, go for walks. Um, obviously, they didn't have the sort of things that we do today in terms of there were no movies. Uh, there were the theater. But generally speaking, Christians were not big on the theater. They were uh, concerned about what was being uh, seen on the, on the stage. But many of the things that we would do together as friends, uh, watch a sports game, uh, eat a meal together, uh, go for a walk together, uh, they would do as well. As you said, they didn't have social media, text messages, or internet, but the mail was pretty slow. So how were letters carried from a place to another, and how long did they take? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, usually, uh, they didn't have a postal service. So they didn't have postmen, and they didn't have postal carriers, and they didn't have post, uh, post offices. Um, you would write a letter, and you'd, you'd have a friend take it. So you'd hope to find somebody who was traveling to where your friend lived, and that person would then carry the letter. And he'd normally have something on him that would certify that the letter that was coming to him was genuine. So friends would often carry letters, which meant that it was not always easy to get letters sent because you'd have to wait till somebody you knew was traveling to where your friend lived. Um, letters could travel pretty quickly. So a letter from what was then Ephesus, which is in modern Turkey, to Rome, which is in Italy. So if you look at a map, Turkey to Italy, it's, it's about halfway across the Mediterranean. Uh, you could do that by boat in about a week and a half, two weeks. The Roman roads were fabulous to travel on and very fast. So most letters in the Roman world uh, in this period of time would take maybe two, three, four weeks to reach uh, their destination. Um, but sometimes letters got lost. Uh, friends maybe lost the letters or forgot to, re got to deliver them um, or what have you. And we have examples of Augustine, who was mentioned earlier, writing to a man that he knew named Jerome, who was also mentioned earlier. And uh, they had a huge correspondence back and forth over the years. And sometimes their letters got lost. And so Augustine would complain he hadn't received a letter from Jerome. And Jerome would send him a, a letter and say, well, didn't you read this? Well, no, I never got that. And uh, so... Uh, letter, letters were not as safe as they are today. So um, was it very typical to have a long-distance friendship? I'm not sure it was typical, but we, the, the, the evidence we have of long-term, long-distance friendships is greater than the evidence we have of, of friendships that were close. And the reason for that is we've got the letters. So if your friend lives around the corner you're not normally going to be writing letters to them, right? So that's one of the, the, the sad things about friendships in the past, especially in this period, is some of these men and women could have had very close friendships. And we know nothing about them, really, uh, because they didn't write letters. 
Um, I think one of the challenges in the future is if people don't have um, uh, mobile phones or if their means of communication are different than our computers, how are they going to access our emails and all our Twitter and uh, social media stuff? So that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that there were uh, many friendships that were close at hand, but we don't have evidence of them because we don't know the letters. That's very interesting. And what do you think we can learn from these um, fourth century friends, especially for young people? Yeah, I think one of the things that is a, a very important thing is that uh, the importance of building friendships, the importance of maintaining friendships, and that friendships are, are essential to who we are as, 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 as people and as Christians. Uh, friendships are vital for um, our, our walk with God. Um, we, we can't do it by ourselves. We need friends. That's the first thing. I think that th these friendships reveal to us how, how important friendship is in that sense. Then I think the other thing is that friendships are fragile. It's unlike when, you know, when you're born into a family, these people are your family. And they're there. And you have that blood relationship. But friendships are, can easily come and go. And we can lose them easily. And I think if you have a good friendship, you need to take time to make sure it survives over, over the years. And um, I have one or two friendships from high school, for example, when I was your age, um, one friendship in particular. And I don't see that person very much at all. But uh, some of my friendships from my early years, when I was about 18 or 19, I have a couple of friendships when I was 18 or 19 that I developed that I still have. And I'm now in my 60s. And uh, these friendships now nearly go back 50 years. And that's really precious. So mm -hmm. I, I would encourage you to, uh, to take time for your friendships. And those that are good, try to keep them over the years. But one, of the, uh, one of the challenges, I think, for anybody as they get older, that you get a job, you get a family, uh, you get busy. And uh, I've realized, you know, some of the, my friendships are very important to me. And I need to spend time and I need to find time. And that time normally is going to be, you know, uh, here and there in the week. But I need to take time to write to my friends, call them on the phone, uh, Zoom with them like we're doing. Um, uh, and um, for me, the, a model is, is some of these early Christians who took time to write letters. And writing letters was more difficult in those days than they are today. Today, we just type out, right, something on, on, on an email. Um, but in those days, you had to get a, a, a quill pen uh, from a, a feather of a bird, um, or you had to use a stylus, which was metal, and you had to dip it in, in, in ink, and you had to keep dipping it, um, and uh, writing on papyrus. Papyrus was not like our paper. It could be rough uh, to write on. And so writing could be very difficult and um, would take time. So I think I've learned one of the things is that friendships take time. And then uh, forgiving each other. So the last few years, I've had one friend, and we've had a difference of opinion on a number of items. And I hadn't spoken to him for about, for about a year. And uh, I decided, no, I, the, the, he's been a very good friend to me over the years. And I, so I called him this, this past weekend. And we're going to get together over Christmas. And um, 
sometimes friends will disappoint us and you'll have disagreements. But if they're good friends, I think we, we need to try uh, to maintain those friendships over the years. So, yes, um, thinking about the friendships of the early church have helped me enormously. Well, uh, Dr. Haitken, before we end, we have two more questions to ask you. Yep. We ask these questions to all of our guests. They are, um, how did you become interested in church history and what can we do to learn more about church history? Yeah, so um, I've always been interested in history. So when I was your age and younger, uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to be, which is a historian and to study history, to spend my life studying history. And uh, I've been very, very, very fortunate and blessed to be able to do that. And so for me, it came fairly naturally. Um, for others, it doesn't come until they're in their late teens or in their 20s. Sometimes I, one of the things I do find is a lot of people don't get interested in history until they're much older. So the fact that you're young as you are um, is fabulous. Um, well, you need to you need to continue studying, uh, op taking opportunities to 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 read about church history um, and history in general, um, not just necessarily church history, but uh, the history of the church, but also just history. And if there's an area you love, read about it. Um, I think one of the most important things uh, that we could give to to people who want to develop an interest in history is you need to read about what you love. So if you find, oh, I, I just love to read about the period uh, which we call the Victorian period, which is the 19th century. Well, read about it and about how their, their lives were lived. And um, uh, I find very helpful is reading people's biographies, the stories of their lives. Um, for me, one of the big ways of teaching history um, is thinking about people and teaching it through people, not simply through ideas, but through people's lives. Because people can connect with people's stories. And so I would strongly encourage you to, to read um, people's lives, people's biographies um, in an area that you love. Um, the area that I always loved was the Greek and Roman world. And I've, I still love that world. And so when I became a Christian, it was natural, I think, in some ways for me to, to gravitate towards the study of the church in that period. But my encouragement would be to read biographies, um, and to read uh, in an area that you love that really interests you. Dr. Hagen, we are so thankful that you decided to spend this time with us and share your knowledge. We really enjoyed this episode. We just want to remind our listeners to visit our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org. That's where you'll find all of our podcasts, special offers, news, and more. And if you subscribe to our email newsletter, you will have a chance to win a copy of Simonetta Carr's new book, Church History. And don't forget to tell your friends where they can find us. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts, Linus and Trinity, I'm Emma. Thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. Thank you.